This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achoo sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this first Sunday in December. This is your radio doctor and I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today we'll be discussing a very important topic, substance use disorder, or as the lay people would know it, addiction. It seems to be, pers- for, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Can I start over, guys? <laughs> had too much coffee today. Oh, do you mind if I start over, guys? <gasps> la, 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 la. Okay, good. <clears throat> Welcome on this first Sunday in December. This is your radio doctor, and I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today, we'll be discussing a very important topic, addiction and substance use disorder. It's pervasive in the U.S., and it seems to be a growing problem even in adolescence. It could be mild, moderate, or severe, and we describe excess use of alcohol, cigarette smoking, vaping, misuse of prescription drugs, non-medical use of marijuana, illicit drugs, and the list goes on. Dr. Denny Carice is a clinical psychologist and an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She's written extensively, published over 100 articles, books, chapters, and made significant advances in the quality of treatment for substance use disorder. Currently, the Chief Scientific Officer for Recovery Centers of America. Since about March of 2016, Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, has dedicated their efforts to creating neighborhood-based treatment and recovery campuses that include detoxification, residential, partial hospital, intensive, and traditional outpatient and family services, all on one campus. Six campuses in Devon, Pennsylvania, Mays Landing, two in Massachusetts, two in Maryland. Their goal is to get 1 million Americans into meaningful recovery. 
Dr. Carice has held similar positions at other mar large uh, health groups, including CRC, where over 42,000 were treated in 140 programs in 33 states. The Phoenix House has 100 programs in 10 states. She was also formerly the director of the Treatment Systems Section at the Treatment Research Institute with funding from the NIH. Her work spans internationally, countries like Nigeria, Mexico, Thailand, Brazil, China, and more, helping national systems integrate scientifically validated tools into clinical treatment. Dr. Carice also has acted as a consultant in Hollywood, the Scorsese film, Wolf of Wall Street, and other films and screenplays where she helps actors accurately depict drug abuse, treatment, and recovery. And you've seen her segments on Nightline, MSNBC, Fox News, major networks, even Access Hollywood. And in newsprint, she's been quoted US News and World Report, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, and others. Over 200 lectures, including internationally, and she's a frequent blogger for the Huffington Post on recovery, treatment, and emerging drug trends. Welcome, Dr. Denny Carice. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much, Marianne. It's great to be here. You are quite the ambassador and saving thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of lives, the people that hear your message. And, and although um, you've been around the world and now here at the Carnegie Hall of Radio Shows, you're a radio <laughs> doctor, even though my audience is a little smaller, we both know that this conversation, even if it saves one life, it's a wonderful thing. So Danny, Absolutely. if you would, yeah, you have such great experience to share. We're hearing more and more about addiction and substance use disorder, even accidental deaths, uh, especially in young people. Can you tell us a little bit more about the current prevalence in the U.S.? Sure. The um, There are approximately 23 million people in the country right now meet criteria, criteria for substance use disorder of some kind, whether it's alcohol or drugs, whether it's mild, moderate, severe. And um, in addition to that 23 million, 66 million people in the U.S., use drugs or alcohol in a problematic way. So it's a very pervasive uh, problem in the country right now. Um, about 8.1 million people in this country meet diagnostic criteria for an illicit drug disorder, meaning that they, just like you would meet criteria for diabetes or hypertension, they are diagnosably struggling with a disorder with either stimulants or tranquilizers or marijuana, cocaine or heroin, and another 14.8 million for alcohol. So that's a very large percentage of, of the population, and it's a significant problem, as we all know from seeing the, the opioid problem explode in the past five, eight, ten years, and, and the amphetamine problem that is really now on the horizon, really looming very large. And so you're right, uh, Denny. I'm saying you're right. Of course, you're our expert. But you think of all the people. I'm a GI doctor. So I see people who have problem with alcohol use and they might fit the category of having a substance use disorder, but they probably use and drink more than they should, um, which leads to physical disorders we'll talk about later. Um, fatty liver, uh, soon to be the number one cause for liver failure and need for liver transplant. And you can get that from excess alcohol, excess eating. So let's talk about substance use disorder for a little bit. It's a disease. How do you know when a person has substance use disorder? Well, you look at things with a person and people can even take a look at themselves and see um, things like in the past 12 months, let's say, are they using substances in larger amounts? Have they had trouble cutting down or controlling their use and they've had they wanted to? Um, do they have strong cravings or urges or desires to use that they can't fight? 
um, some real concrete things have they continued to use despite difficulties at work, school or home, or despite recurring interpersonal or social issues, missing family gatherings, things like that. Um, one of the, the symptoms as well is that um, they continue to use when it can be physically hazardous or despite the fact that it's threatening and, and increasing problems with other illnesses, in, including, you know, your diabetes, hypertension, asthma, your digestive disorders, and they continue to use despite it making those worse. And then tolerance, the need for more to continue to get the same effect and withdrawal symptoms. So those are things you look for. And I guess as the scientist, you look at it as a disease. It is a disease because, um, and of course, maybe you could explain a little bit. There are centers in the brain that get pleasure when we when we taste something that's delicious. Or I had um, several weeks ago, I had a neurologist from Johns Hopkins who talked about stimulating areas of the brain um, with music that make motion more um uh, structured. So if somebody has Parkinson's disorder, Parkinson's disease, and you stimulate the right part of the brain, and I guess that's the goal of your therapy, uh, trying to get that part of the brain stimulated with positivity or or other um, work or, or hobbies, so it distracts the person from wanting that impulsive, continue that impulsive behavior. Is that a pretty good way to look at it? It's a pretty good way to look at it. One of the things we want to do is allow the time for that dopaminergic system to kind of reset itself. Um, if you look at all of the peak experiences, and I mean truly peak experiences that we have as humans, um, they're, they're all really about an explosion of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens in the brain, right? And if we look at the basal level and just look at a level of dopamine, in our normal everyday experiences, including great ones and bad ones, they range from about minus 200 to 200. When you take methamphetamine, your basal uh, dopamine system goes up to 900. So imagine you know, telling somebody that something that shoots them up to a 900 when above 200 normally is all you ever get and say, hey, you've got to stop doing that. Life will be great. It won't be quite like that but it'll be good. Uh, it's no wonder that people have such a tough time stopping. Absolutely a hard sell. And when, especially with young people who, you know, we all think we're invincible and we're going to last forever and everybody else is doing it or so you think. And, and we find uh, barriers to uh, changing behavior when that comes along. We're here with Dr. Danny Carice. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And welcome back to our second segment with Dr. Denny Carice from Recovery Centers of America. Denny, we were talking about substance use disorder as a disease. How do you assess a new patient when they come to you? Well, you've got to assess them across the board in terms of the many different symptoms that they could be having. So for some people, substance use disorders, their drug and alcohol problems affect them more physically or more mentally or more with their job or their finances. So you want to make sure that somebody is um, assessed and ha has meetings and discussions with um, a, a medical doctor so that they can be assessed physically, a nurse as well for, for different systems. 
as well as a um, trained substance use disorder counselor or therapist that will look at other some more of the biopsychosocial, like the family relationships, the job issues. Um, but you want to make sure you look at medical employment, drug, alcohol, family, legal, psychiatric problems across the board. And that's the one I left out. You want to make sure that they have a psychiatric assessment because about 60% of people coming into treatment for substance use disorder have a co-occurring mental health disorder. I'm sure. And that's another question that has always gone through my own mind as I went through medical school and we did rotations in psychiatry or or um, we didn't have that much training back in the day in um, addiction and substance use disorder. But you look at the person and say, uh, chicken and egg, does somebody have a mental health issue that um, sets them up for more impulsive behavior? Or is there some of the facilitator in their social life or their school setting or or someone, a close friend that says, here, try this once and they like it. And then they, they become, as you you can tell us, people can become uh, acutely psychotic with certain um, drugs. Am I right about that? Oh, absolutely. They, they can. I mean, it is very tough. We know what came first, but what, what we know is you have to treat them together. You can't treat one and then the other. You've got to go at them together and you've got to give it time to flush out what's, you know, a true psychiatric order, disorder versus psychiatric symptoms as a result of their drug use. Um, so uh, things like something pe most people don't know is that on withdrawal from heroin is very painful for people if they do it alone, they don't do it under medical supervision. It's, it's, it's very painful, but it won't kill you. It's not a lethal withdrawal. Withdrawal from alcohol or things like Xanax and Valium, those can kill you. The withdrawal from those can kill you. So it's incredibly important that we assess all of the different things and that we get treatment that's targeted the correct way. And uh, for our listeners, they can kill you because um, uh, with alcohol withdrawal, which I've seen many times, um, people can get delirium tremens or they can have seizures. Yes. Yeah. What about yeah. some yeah. of the other uh, issues? And that's why it's so important to get help. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing for withdrawal from benzodiazepines, your Xanax, your Valium, they could lead to seizures. Um, these, uh, you know, the on heroin, on opioids, you can overdose and die, but you won't die from the withdrawal. If you quit suddenly, you won't die. If you quit alcohol or benzodiazepines like Xanax or Valium, suddenly that can be fatal. And that's so important for people to remember and hear, because even if they hear nothing else that you tell us today, um, I think too, part of it is words mean something. And so a prescription medicine like Valium, people think, well, you know, I take it before I get on an airplane, people use it or it's prescribed and they think, well, how could that ever hurt me if I stop it? But it, it, all of these things have to be discussed with your physician and you have to be observed and the right people surrounding you in case you do have problems so they can control your heart rate and your blood pressure and all the things that can really uh, react in an extreme way. I, I meant to ask earlier, are you seeing, uh, we talked a little bit earlier, I asked about the, the current trends. Is there a rise in anything in particular? I know heroin sounds like it's pretty inexpensive on the streets. Am I right? Well, that oh, absolutely. So there was a huge rise in heroin. Um, that was really the, the second of a three waves of opioid problems. There was the prescription problem, the heroin problem. Now we're re really knee deep in the um, fentanyl and analog problem. So fentanyl um, and carfentanyl and all of the analogs and analogs is something where you just change one little molecule and you have a new drug that was never around before, but it's just as potent as fentanyl or carfentanyl. It's also being laced in with cocaine and amphetamines. So it's, it's incredibly dangerous because 
because sometimes people buy cocaine and they think that's what they're getting. They are what we would call opioid naive, meaning they're not, they have no tolerance to opioids and they think they're doing cocaine and they do a line and they overdose on an opioid. Well, so well, that's, that's pretty common. Yeah. And that's the message. And again, I don't um, see people that um, are abusing drugs so much. Mine is more that I see a lot of alcohol injury to liver because liver is part of GI. But I, I say to young people when I lecture to communities, I'll say, do you really think that guy in the corner who's selling you those pills cares about you getting your homework done or really cares about your interest? Probably not. So if they put a little something extra in, in their product um, because you'll think, oh, I like his better than the other guy down the street, they don't really stop and think it could kill you your first go round. Just the first time is not always safe. Am I right about that? I mean, I remember hearing back in the eighties and nineties that they would lace uh, heavier meds or heavier drugs into marijuana. Even people think marijuana is so innocent. Not so, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, you're absolutely right, but it's even worse than that. On occasion when um, a dealer of some sophistication puts a new drug out, they'll actually heavily lace it with a drug that will lead to overdose and death. And I know this will sound crazy to people who don't have the brain to hear this the same way. If you don't have an addictive kind of brain, this will sound crazy to you, but the, the really the normal response, somebody using drugs or alcohol that has an addictive propensity, when they find out that somebody got such strong dope that they overdosed and died, their response is not, oh my God, I better not go near it. Their innate response is, oh my God, that must be great stuff. I'm going to try it. And so I guess, you know, I, I remember watching National Geographic or a show like that one time, and they talked about a thrill-seeking gene. I thought, well, that must be what yeah. evil Knievel has. There's some people, obviously we know with any disease, and this is a disease, their your genetic makeup has is part of the... the um, yeah facilitation uh, part of the thing that makes some people more curious or or a little less frightened and you must see every store you see is unique i'm sure and so you tailor your treatment that's the beautiful thing about a place like recovery centers of america and what fantastic work you've been doing so now we have covid and there's not one person on the planet who who is completely calm about that it, it can't be whether you're worried about getting it yourself or your loved ones or losing your job or even if everything's pretty status quo you think gee whiz how long is this going to last I'm, i've been lucky for these six months could i get it next month could it right i mean will, oh. will things ever be the same so that and that on top of the holidays even no covid i'm sure that so many people that have sud if we can call it that substance use disorder the holidays are tough. They just are because either they're not ready, uh, they're not up to the task of trying to make everybody around them happy or they're shy mm -hmm. on money or it's just, it's hard. So now what is the combination doing? Well, you're exactly right. The holidays are tough for people, particularly in recovery, because they may have to go to family events where other people are not in recovery, where people don't respect their recovery, because of course, families think, well, you didn't drink any more than me, and I'm not an alcoholic, so what are you saying that for? You know, you don't Aww. need to quit drinking, you know, and I get that all the time. And um, so the, and this is a disease also that really depends on somebody changing their lifestyle, and they need support to do that. So the, you know, the support groups for that are not meeting right now, except for 
or virtually. So when you add on, you know, COVID with the stress and the holidays and the financial stress that people are seeing and the, and the social isolation, which is the antithesis of what mm. people in recovery are about, mm-hmm. um, it really hits this group of folks much more difficult. It's much more difficult for folks with, that are in recovery, particularly newly in recovery. And I think it takes such um, understanding for people to look at a person who has substance use disorder and and say, and as you said so beautifully when we chatted the other day, if somebody has diabetes and even if they're really strict with their diet and their medications, their sugar is going to bounce around a little bit. If a yeah. person has a relapse, it doesn't mean that they haven't been trying hard. It means that all diseases, people get episodes of asthma, even right there, your blood pressure jumps up and down. It's not always in your control. And uh, we have to look at it that way. Remember that. So, so treatment, the treatment is a lifetime. Tell us about the treatment. Does it work? And, and, you know, just to go back to that for one second, I mm -hmm. think the general public doesn't like the idea that addiction is a disease. And we know the genes it's on. We know the genetic components. It, It is a disease. It responds just like every other disease to treatment. I think the reason the general public doesn't like that is because they think that we're saying, when we say it's a disease, we're saying the person's not responsible for their behavior. It's not their fault they never showed up or they stole money or they whatever. We're not saying that. In fact, we're, we'll say the opposite. Once you know you have a disease, whether it's substance use disorder or diabetes, it's your responsibility to get treatment and make the behavioral changes that you need to make. You said it a whole lot better than I was trying to say it, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's so complex and a lot of love is, is necessary to help all of us. Um, how does the treatment work? How do you go about analyzing somebody's story or, or situation, Denny? Well, what you want to do is make sure that you assess them f- across several different um, life domains. So you want to have their medical assessed. You want to talk about their drug and alcohol use. You want to get family involved as often as soon as possible. Um, you And then you want to get collateral information from family. But you also want to assess their psychiatric issues, their their financial employment issues, and their family issues. You used a very important word there because sometimes the person that's using the substance either forgets or they don't want to admit completely. Maybe they don't want to face it themselves. It's not they're trying to hide. And you, if you have the luxury of getting information from siblings or spouses or family or friends, it can make a huge difference uh, in the nuances of how you assess the person's problems and how you treat it. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Denny Carice from Recovery Centers of America. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Recovery Centers of America, they sound fantastic, Denny. Um, for people who don't live near uh, an RCA, if I may call it that, um, what are the five top things that a, a patient should look for when they're seeking treatment? Well, if I had to boil it down to five, the first one would be staffing. Do they have physicians, psychiatry, and nursing, as well as master's level therapists? So I would look for the quality of staffing. Um, one of the top predictors of success is involvement of the family. So they do, do they involve families, however that person defines family, their support system? Are they engaged and involved in treatment? Um, so the, another one would be, do they, um, 
do they are they accredited? It's a great sign if they are accredited, particularly by the Joint Commission or um, CARF accreditation. But Joint Commission is the stronger one. It means they've met certain uh, criteria. And then do they have a comprehensive continuum of care? The last thing you ever want is to go in and do detox only. Um, detox only is actually quite dangerous because when you leave detox, you really need to go to the next level of care because you're at the highest risk of overdose deaths right out of detox. So do they do they keep in touch with the person from detox to residential to outpatient? Do they have alumni service? Do they keep people engaged? Because it takes a long time to change these behaviors. In the little reading that I did, I mean, I did a lot of reading, but it would take really a long time to learn all the good things you, you have to share at least three, four months, I would think, before a person starts to feel comfortable? Well, it's interesting you say that. So some people feel comfortable, like some people are happy, happy right away. And sometimes they crash a little bit you know, mm-hmm. later. And some people take a long time to be comfortable and happy. But we know that if somebody sticks with it for about 90 days, their chances of staying in recovery or sober for a year go, go get much higher. If they are in recovery for five years, their likelihood of having of having an active substance use disorder actually goes down to the same rate as the average person. That's so good to know. But I, I guess comfortable wasn't the right word, but they they feel like they're they're on a new path. Um, and you mentioned before, and and we're going through it as physicians and with physical ailments uh, during COVID. Thank goodness, as much as I don't love techno talk and and communicating via technology. Thank goodness it was in place so we could have um, telehealth. And that has been a good way for you to keep in touch with patients who maybe have been at uh, an RCA and they're at home. And that constant, that spectrum of care, that timeline, we still want to know where you are. We still want to know what you're thinking. We're here to help you. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's incredibly important. So we're also very lucky because of our heavy medical um, background and and presence in the sites, as well as the fact that we have a sister company that's a lab. So we have had um, no closure at all in our residential sites. They're large enough to have isolation wings and to be able to do COVID tests on everybody and test staff and move that people into regular treatment when in a day or two when we get the test back. So that's been great. But we have transitioned because it is better for outpatient We've transitioned everything over to um, to uh, virtual care, what we call it telehealth or virtual care. And, um, you know, I have to say this whole field has really pivoted to be able to do that very, very quickly. And we're not typically a field that pivots quickly. So um, the importance of that can't be underestimated. On, on the support side, too, there's 66,000 AA groups in the U.S., just AA, that all closed down. That's And there's 1.3 million members. And that group has gone way above and beyond in terms of transitioning over to virtual care. All of the uh, recovery groups, whether it's AA, NA, Smart Recovery, Cocaine Anonymous, Families Anonymous, they have all ha- they all have online meetings now that are very quickly accessible, as does RCA. We have I've been doing Facebook Live every day at 10 a.m. doing recovery readings since March, uh, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. I, I, the great group gets together every morning on Facebook Live, and we have um, step meetings and regular meetings. And so people have really pivoted to provide treatment um, as well as support in a virtual way. Well, I, I you you. Um Men, you read my mind because the other day I was watching you do a reading. It was magnificent. Uh, I, and you, you called out people by name and said, hi, so-and-so, and I'm glad you're here today and, and that sort of thing. And for somebody who's hurting or somebody who's struggling or somebody who's trying so hard to get back on a straight path, that must mean the world to them. 
and it makes you feel great. And it, it was just fantastic what I what I heard you say and the way you interacted with people. It made my day better. You made me happy. Um, if you were to talk about the holidays again, and, and as we said, they're difficult even for people that don't have substance use. They they may have lost somebody this year. Or they're they're just sad because they think of people that are gone from their lives. Um, and add the pandemic. What are some tips for getting through the holiday season? Yes. Substance free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one is take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, stay active. The holidays really increase your, you know, the, the, the propensity towards eating poorly and sleeping poorly. So try and take better care of yourself. Um, believe it or not, if you make a daily routine and you stick to it, some kind of routine, whether that 10 a.m. Facebook Live, you know, has helped me too, you know. So sticking yep. with a routine actually helps quite a bit. Um, you know, have your support system. If you can only meet virtually, great. The reality is socially distancing is not what we should be doing. It's physically distancing. We really can't afford to socially distance. We just have to, we just have to, our social has to be virtual, but we still have to have that connection. Being connected is incredibly important to people. And the other one is just know what your triggers are. What are the things that make you want to use drugs or drink alcohol or overeat or whatever, and kind of watch out for them and know what you're going to do when when they come up. For some people, depression is a trigger. For other people, seeing others drink is a trigger. For other people, being alone is a trigger. So just know what the things are that really trigger you and prepare for them. What would you say is the most common substance use or or, or I say or addiction in lay people's words that that you're seeing these days? Um, it's you know it, it it is what it has always been, and people don't realize this alcohol. Mm-hmm. 13,000 sure. people in the country try alcohol for the first time every day. I believe it. And, and you know, I, I ask you that because when my children were in high school, some of the schools in Philadelphia talked about starting to do random drug testing. Yeah. And we were, at a, we were at a parents' meeting, and I said, okay, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'm sitting there to myself. Uh, again, not I don't have to be a GI doctor to say, gee whiz, the most uh, – um, accessible drug out there isn't being discussed here. Alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every commercial, if you drink, if you buy this type of beer, you'll get the girl in the bikini or everything's made to look so attractive about alcohol. And yeah. it is fun. Some of the commercials they drink responsibly. That's a good idea. But, um, yeah. you know, people pregame and then they go out to dinner or the, the game, the football game or whatever it is, and then they go out for another drink. And so kids today think, well, as long as I have only a maximum of one drink per hour and I'm eight for eight hours. Uh, I'm good for eight drinks. And I think, tell me if you agree that some of the reasoning is, well, it's not drugs. It's just beer. It's just a brewski. No. I mean, I mean, that is the reason, but, but you know what? U S sales of alcohol went up 55% in March compared to March of last year. In Mm. March, this wasn't even a very big problem until mid to late March. Um, sales of um, pre-mixed cocktails and tequila went up 75%. And you know what else went up? 70 to 80% increase in calls to eating disorder hotlines. Just yes. hotlines. And the number of people in the U.S. currently seriously considering suicide doubled to 11%. It's typically 5%. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I had read an article recently that talked about the increase in wine sales. Well, no surprise. Um, it's almost kind of interesting when... 
the lockdown first came around, I thought, well, this is kind of good in that I don't have to commute. So I'll save all this time and I'll get all this, this work done. Well, we're all spending so much more time. Everything's harder to do, c- yep. communicating and all. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of over the snow the snow holidays. I don't like being here all the time. And, and uh, you know, yeah. I'm eating way too much candy. But um, uh, everybody has their go-to. And if you're sitting at a computer for eight hours, it's almost a mini vacation to get up and have a cup of coffee. People are over imbibing with certain foods or drinks it's not just alcohol and drugs am i right i mean it's the the um the covid 20 (laughs) (laughs) you're you're absolutely right what i tell everybody from patients to colleagues to friends is this if you have a kind of a weak point or a bent or a personality trait if you're a little suspicious sometimes if you're a little depressed sometimes if you have trouble with eating sometimes if you're totally drinking sometimes this COVID is now a long-term chronic stress. Just multiply that little quirk that you had by 50 because that's what's happening. Everybody's just so stressed because of the chronicity of this that um, they are drinking more. It's interesting, in Pennsylvania, um, traffic went down like 34% and drunk driving arrests did not go down. Mm, Makes sense. And that's because so many people are drinking and driving. I want to revisit a few things you said on your Facebook reading the other day. Um, If you think you can't, you can't, whether it's Mm -hmm. food or pills or people, you're not powerless. You can control how you respond. And that's where you say it's a disease, but there's some personal responsibility, but gosh, people with substance use disorder need help. They need help from family and friends and recovery during recovery. We trust each other. We trust others. We share what we're thinking. We share our inner secrets. But in addiction, we guard because we're threatened. Our use of whatever the substance is is threatened. And just the things you said were so logical and really beautiful. And that when you talk to the your listeners or, I guess, patients, um, you even turn to them and said, hey, you made my day better. You helped me save my life today. And I, I congratulate you. You speak beautifully and you are really incredible. Let's take a little break and we'll come back for our final segment. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're back for our final segment. This has been absolutely stellar with Dr. Danny Carice from Recovery Centers of America, where she is the Chief Scientific Officer. Denny, tell us in our final few minutes here, being recovery and how it lays the groundwork for other challenges that are list that patients will meet in life. And then final few words about where people could call or contact the RCA. Sure. So the, the great thing about being recovery is it really gives you a framework to live. It's not just about putting down a drink or a drug. It's about living with dignity, integrity, and by getting support from others. You know, um, we are stronger for this. And people in recovery are some of the most, um, some of the strongest, most dedicated people I know. So, and the important thing is to know we've got this, you've got this, you can get help. So if you're in recovery and you're struggling, or if you've increased your drug or alcohol use and you're worried, first thing would be give yourself a break. We're all struggling with this crazy time in in life. Talk to other people in recovery, attend virtual meetings, get some help to support you. If you're in recovery and struggling, you don't have to go back inpatient, maybe some outpatient help virtually even, and keep in touch with others who are in recovery. 
and just know this, the ability to reach out for help when you're struggling shows your commitment and a strength. It is not a weakness. So please reach out if you need help. You can call um, our hotline at 1-800-RECOVERY, just 1-800-RECOVERY, or online at our website is also 1-800-RECOVERY.COM. 1-800-RECOVERY.COM, or the phone number again is 1-800-RECOVERY. Yep. Dr. Mm -hmm. Danny Carice, you are the ambassador of All Goodwill. Thank you for the thousands of people that you've helped, and I'm sure they're grateful. And again, I think what you important words you said were, don't beat yourself up. This is a disease. We're all working together. Everybody has an area in their lives that they have to improve and virtual contact. It doesn't have to be, phys we are physically distant, but, that, but not necessarily socially distant. Use virtual uh, connection to stay grounded and supported. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciated it. Thanks so much for having me. Recovery Centers of America. champion this week is Joy Tartar. I call the segment Joy to the World. Most people in the Philadelphia area recognize the name Jerry Lenfest. He was a lawyer, media executive, and philanthropist who gave millions of dollars to colleges, hospitals, and many Philadelphia institutions. He even had a company that owned the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News, which he donated to a foundation to keep these newspapers in Philly. He died in 2018 at the age of 88. Long before women talked about wanting more women in STEM, science, technology, economics, and math, Joy Tarter was living that dream. She's a certified public accountant and for 20 years served as the chief financial officer for the Lenfest Group, one of the wealthiest men in the country. Imagine balancing those checkbooks. Well, Joy loved her work, and one of her responsibilities was serving on the board of a very special high school in Philadelphia. Little did she know that in time she'd become the director of CB Community School. Founded in 2015, CB Community School includes students ages 14 to 21 who are from foster homes, in child welfare, or juvenile justice system. Most of them have lived in multiple homes, attended multiple schools, and when you come from a broken home or suffer a childhood filled with abuse, fear, and violence, you never get to be a child. Of course, you're more likely to drop out of school, be unemployed, experience homelessness, or even end up incarcerated. These are vulnerable young people who lack stability and caring adults. They're often in need of food and housing. They need someone to offer a loving, consistent community. The CB Community School is that place. They learn, heal, and grow into caring, confident citizens with skills to contribute to society. Aside from academics, there's a full-time social worker, grief counseling, a medical clinic, and social and emotional learning team to help these students who've had trauma feel peaceful and become ready to learn. So what does CB stand for? Competency-based. When you come to this school, you never fail. They meet you where you are personally, not the grade or the age on the transcript. So if a student doesn't achieve a benchmark, they don't fail, they just try again. There's no penalty for life happening, for having a baby. It's a healing-centered academic program. This is the only high school in the nation for young people in the child welfare system. Each student walks in and gets a shirt that says, I matter, because everybody's been through something, so these students understand each other. You don't graduate to actually learn the work. You have to earn the benchmarks. So it's more than a school, it's a community. As the executive director, Joy wears many hats. 
She's a compliance officer. She oversees safety policies, licenses, and works very hard at fundraising. But as you might guess, she found it hard to look at her role as just an administrator. What led me to talk about Joy is that she's truly invested in the well-being of these young people. She may be great at math, but her mothering skills are even stronger. She's the mother of two in a busy household, which includes her own 80-year-old mother. But she found room in her home and her heart to invite at least nine of these students to live with her, one student for more than a year. When one boy said, I've never been on a plane or been to Disney World, she made his dream come true. She took him to meet Mickey and Minnie. Some years ago, there was a story in the news. A teen mom gave birth to a baby girl in her grandparents' bathroom, placed the baby in a plastic bag, and left her deserted in a building in Philadelphia. A policeman found the baby and on that cold winter night took her to the hospital. That girl lived in various homes, even suffered abuse, but worked hard. After living with Joy and graduating from CB school, she was accepted to Cabrini College. Along with heading this remarkable school and having her own family, imagine the time and energy it took to have different people move into your home. And when you have the chance, look at a video of a girl named Ashley from CB school. Her mother used drugs. Ashley was abused, molested, in all kinds of foster care. She considers CB as her family. Due to their love and support, she's the first in her own family to attend college, and her goal is to help others. I was truly moved by the power of Ashley's rebirth. Then I listened to Joy talk quietly about her work, and it reminded me that there are saints in our midst, and this is one who brings joy to the world. In true champion style, she credits others as the real stars. Joy said Sarah Schwartz has been at the school much longer than I, and she started off as the school social worker and has now become our rock star communications and marketing director. We salute you, Joy Tarter, your real champion. Tune in during December when we learn about broken hips from Rothman Institute's Dr. Max Courtney, and the following week, star dietitian Emily Rubin will talk about safe eating and drinking tips during the holidays. Listen to all of our shows again on yourradiodoctor.net, and I'm hoping Sid Mark plays my favorite Frank Sinatra song all month, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Listen again tonight at 6 p.m. on WPHT, Women to Watch. Have a great week, and remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.